0: This is Amy Bauman, and you are listening to Speaking Truth With Love. For more information about myself or For His Glory Ministry, you can head to amybauman.com. Now here is today's show. Good morning. Welcome to our online service. I'm Chaplain Amy Bauman with For His Glory Ministry, and I am so glad that you're choosing to join us today. I pray that you have already been blessed by the worship. I know for me, I was singing uh, Jaira the last couple of days, just those words over and over again in my head, knowing that God is our provider and believing in those words, right, that we need to trust in him. If this is the first time that you're joining us, it's a very special welcome to you. You are coming in on a new series that we started last week, Making Our Way to the Cross. And we're looking at specific things that happened in the early part of Jesus's ministry to help us have a better understanding of God's heart, why he sent his son, and what his ministry was all about as we make our way to the cross. Last week, we looked at the baptism and his 40 days in the wilderness. And this week, we're gonna be looking at his very first miracle that he performs At the wedding at Cana so lots of things to share with you today lots to go over but before we get started let's just open this up with prayer Father God I thank you I thank you for today I thank you for this opportunity that we can come together all over the world and worship you And so, Holy Spirit, we just invite you into this place. We ask that you open up our hearts and our ears for what it is that you want to do in us today. A new revelation, a new hope, a new encouragement, a new way of us looking at your word so that we can have a better understanding of Jesus. We thank you for everything that you are going to do. I pray for a fresh anointing that I may speak your truth in love. We love you and praise you and thank you and ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. So today we're going to be talking about the wedding at Cana and how Jesus turned the water into wine. But before we read the text, I want us to kind of prepare our hearts and our minds for what this looks like, um, what a wedding was like during this time in the Bible. And maybe think about a wedding that you have attended yourself or been involved with. Now, our daughter got married almost two years ago and it was at our house. So we had set up the tables in the barn with chairs. We had put chairs out in the backyard for all of the guests to sit. We created, my husband actually built this like structure that they could stand under with the pastor. We bought flowers. It was a beautiful celebration, but it was a lot of work. We brought family on and friends to kind of help us pull everything together. We had to order food. Um, We had to get bottles of wine, make sure there was enough tea and coffee. It was a lot. It was a lot to put into it. And so I, coming off of our daughter's wedding, can have a fuller understanding of what it would have been like for this wedding here in Cana because they went through the same things. They experienced the same feelings and things that we do today, right? They wanted it to be a wonderful celebration. They wanted to be able to host their friends and family well, and uh, they wanted to be able to do just what we do today, right? Is celebrating and making sure everyone is having a good time. But for them, it's not only the celebration, of their children getting married, this was a huge event. This was an event that sometimes lasted a week long. And oftentimes um, they wanted to make sure that they had enough food and wine and and everything because of how long it went and people that would come and go. And if they didn't do that, if if it wasn't up to social standards, it could be a huge embarrassment for the family. And so just like we had at our uh, wedding ceremony and reception, we had a master of ceremonies. We actually had a master and mistress of ceremonies so that my husband and I could actually take a breath, enjoy the ceremony and let this couple kind of make sure that everything ran on time, that if there were any little issues that came up that they were the ones that addressed that so that we can continue to enjoy as parents they also have had a master of the banquet someone that was in charge um, making sure that they were the ones that the guest came to if there were any problems or questions and this master of the banquet would keep everything going in a timely manner so i want you to kind of focus on that for a second before we read the text and get this fuller understanding of a wedding in this time period is very similar to a wedding that we have today, except their weddings went on much longer. I also want us to be thinking about for a second, as we're reading the text, that Mary, the mother of Jesus, is at the wedding. So is Jesus and his disciples. So the whole point of John telling us that is that there's some kind of connection with the family that's that's putting on the wedding right? The only reason that they're there is because there's that connection. So perhaps Mary was a really good friend of the mother of the bride, you know, maybe Jesus and this son or daughter that is getting married, you know, they live near each other when they were growing up, maybe they're, they're friends, but either way, Mary, Jesus's mother is at the wedding and so is Jesus and the disciples. So we need to remember that. Uh, remember that they're there because they know the family and and that's why they've been invited. So as we're thinking about these things, I'm going to go ahead and dive in to John chapter 2. I'm going to read this entire event and then we're going to unpack it line by line. So if you have your Bibles, John chapter 2. Jesus changes water into wine. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. Thanks be to God for this word. So last week, if you were with us, you know that we unpacked Matthew 3, starting in verse 13, to understand the baptism of Jesus. And Matthew's account tells us that Jesus was baptized and then immediately went off into the desert, led by the Spirit, for 40 days, where he was tempted by Satan. And we briefly talked, trying to understand Matthew and his writings, we briefly talked about Matthew, and we brought up that Matthew, before he became a disciple of Jesus, was a tax collector. Now, with that information, right, when you think about people that Maybe you have a CPA, or they're an accountant, or they're someone that really likes math. They're really good with numbers. They're good with details. It's very important for them to have a structured ledger. It's very important that they get everything accurate. And this was Matthew. And it's important to understand who the disciples were as they're telling their account so that we have a better understanding of why they're writing out the Gospels the way that they are. So Matthew, it was very important for him to have every detail correct and in order when he describes Jesus. Now, when we turn to John and we're reading this in John, it can be confusing for us understanding that when we flip over to John, John writes in a different style. John writes in past tense, describing activities that have already happened. And so when we get to John, it goes from the baptism to John saying the next day where Jesus had seen John the Baptist and two of us, two of the disciples. And then he goes, and the next day, John calls Philip and Nathaniel. And then when we pick up in chapter two, John says on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana. So some people um, believe that John was referring to the third day after Christ's baptism, right? If, if we were thinking that, that John was Matthew, you know, John is doing this order of things that Jesus did, but that's not how John writes. John's gospel allows for gaps. John knows that when he records these events, right? That they happened in an order, but John doesn't have the entire, all the events in that order, right? And so just know that the events that were recorded that we talked about last week, they happened in an order and that the wedding at Cana took place after Jesus had returned from his 40 days in the wilderness. And so John saying on the third day is referencing Jesus's schedule after he came back from the wilderness. That's important to know. And it's important as we're unpacking God's word to ask those kinds of questions, to dive deeper, to have a better understanding of the timeline and of the author of that book that we are reading. So we've established that Jesus's mother was there and that Jesus and his disciples had been invited, and then all of a sudden we are told that the wine is gone. And Jesus and his mother came to him and said, There's no more wine. So this is like a couple, couple verses in, there's no more wine. And Jesus, Jesus' mother Mary comes to him and says, There's no more wine. Now you gotta remember with what we've just talked about a few minutes ago that this is a big deal right? This is a social embarrassment. We have to remember that Mary probably has a relationship with the parents um, and that's why she's there and probably she had done some helping and Mary doesn't want her friends to have to go through this social embarrassment and so she does the one thing she knows that she can do And she goes to Jesus. Now I can understand Mary's heart. Like I said, we just did, you know, put together, helped my daughter put on this wedding two years ago. And there's a lot of weight to the the whole event, making sure that there's enough food and there's enough wine and there's enough coffee and tea. And there was enough chairs for everybody to sit on. You want to make sure that you're bringing this event, Uh, to all the people that are coming, so that it's a good event. Back then, though, it was even more so, right? It's not just a one-day event. This could go seven days long. And so she comes to Jesus and says, there's no more wine. And what is Jesus's response? Now, he doesn't say mom or ima, which is mom in Hebrew. He says woman. And when I first read this, I was thinking that maybe Jesus was being a little bit disrespectful, like, woman, <laughs> why are you coming to me with this? But that's not the case at all. When, when you're reading it and understanding it, it's better translated as lady, which has some courtesy and respect to the word. So he's not, he's not calling her his mom, right? And, and it, in this instance, I'm thinking about myself in a social situation where maybe he's addressing her as lady, as woman instead of mom, because he's, he's growing up. He, he's uh, in front of other people. uh, And we don't know exactly why he says that, but I guess I want us the, the main focus is to know that it is out of reverence that he says woman. And he says to her, my hour has not yet come. I want to camp here for a second, and I want to think about what we know about Jesus, right, and his ministry and the weight of the start of this ministry. The weight of that hour when his ministry would actually start and the timer would be set and the number of days that he would take in his journey to get to the cross, I know for me, there have been some days when I could kind of see everything I had to do that day, the weight of getting started. And for me, I didn't even want to get out of bed. Maybe, you know, that was Jesus. Now, we can't imagine what he was thinking. We can't put ourselves in that place. Maybe he was waiting for his father to reveal to him what that next hour would be, right? What when that hour would be. Not necessarily his mother at a wedding because they've ran out of wine. But I I can believe even though the text does not reveal it that we can be confident that Jesus went to his father. Jesus said a prayer. You know, in 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 just a few seconds asking his father, "Is this the time that you want me to get started? Is this what you want me to do because Jesus does that throughout his entire ministry, right? He's always going to the father, always spending time apart, praying to his father, hours praying to his father, always making sure that he's obedient to his father's will. So even though John doesn't come out and say this, we can be confident that that's what Jesus did. And of course, right? The answer was yes, because He goes on to help the situation. So Mary tells the servants, do whatever he tells you. And John continues by telling us about six stone water jars, the kind that were used for ceremonial washing. And that each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Now, maybe John wrote this in a way to show the contrast between the new wine of Jesus's ministry and the old water of ceremonial washing. Mikvah. This was a common daily practice among Jews, pouring water over their hands, cleansing themselves. and. For a lengthy feast with many guests, a large amount of water would need uh, to be ready and and was required for this purpose. But Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Why don't you think about that for a second? Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. This imagery is so beautiful when you think about these jars filled to the rim with water because Jesus wasn't going to add something to the water. There was no space. The jars were filled to the rim with water. It's the same way with us. Jesus doesn't want to add something to us, right? One more thing to try to get one more thing in us. He doesn't want to do that. He wants to transform us. And that's what he did. And that's exactly what he did to the jars of water. He didn't add something more. He transformed them. And he tells them, Now, draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. In these moments, we don't read that Jesus did a taste test. We don't read that the servant said, well, wait a second, let's just taste it to make sure it tastes okay before we go and embarrass ourselves. We don't read that someone came by and said, yep, this is okay, go ahead and bring it out. Can you imagine the servants in this moment as they're watching all of this happen? and that they just draw a cup and take it to the master of the banquet. I think if it were me, I would have this mixture of fear and faith, right? Amazement on what they saw in the cup, this beautiful color and richness of the wine and the miracle that they saw, because they're the ones that filled the jars with water. So when they took it there, right, the master of the banquet knew it was good wine, but he didn't know it was a miracle. And this knowledge, this knowledge that the servants had was such a special blessing for them, which again shows the heart of Jesus. After the master of the banquet took a drink, he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine at first, but then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you, you have saved the best till now. Can you imagine the conversations that were happening at this wedding talking about this amazing wine that was coming out at this time in the party. This was this respect for the parents and the family, right? All of a sudden it's like, hey, you guys are awesome. What a great party. You're bringing out the best wine towards the end. This is amazing. And there is this principle behind these words that I want us to think about for a second. For the people of God, the best is always yet to come. We are promised the best that is yet to come. And when we put our trust in Jesus, when we have faith that he is going to transform our lives in his perfect timing, well, When we have Jesus in our hearts, when we believe that he is able, then the best is yet to come for all of us. John closes with this in verse 11 and 12, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee. And he states that this was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and that his disciples believed in him. And then they went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples and stayed for a few days. As I read this, this is the perfect first sign, using wine to start his ministry. Because as he starts off his ministry, with wine. He ends his ministry with wine and blood shed on a cross. It makes perfect sense when we, when we think about and start to understand the heart of Jesus, why God would make this the first sign. Some things I, I love as we look at these verses and unpack especially as I understand the weight of throwing a good wedding and a good reception, was that Jesus blessed this family and saved them from social embarrassment. What we read last week about his first temptation in the wilderness was that the devil asked Jesus to turn stones into bread for himself. But in this first sign, Mary asked Jesus to turn water into wine for others. Jesus refused the first, but he did the second, showing us his heart, showing us his love for people. I also love how, once again, people who are behind the scenes the people of lowly places in society, people like servants, got to witness their, this very first miracle. And when we think about Jesus' past and the journey that he has taken thus far, how God revealed him to the world, we remember that Jesus came from that very small town of Nazareth, where nothing good comes from Nazareth, right? That was what people said about that town. And yet that's where Jesus came from. He was born not to a rich queen, but a poor young girl who was highly favored in the eyes of God, not because of how much money she had or her place in society, or the number of things that she had done in the community it was based on her heart also remember that the angels appeared to the lowly shepherds out in the fields now the shepherds were considered the lowest in society they were out every day working with livestock working with sheep smelling just like the animals that they cared for spending the nights the nights outside That's where they lived. They lived with the sheep. And so in society, they were considered very low. And yet this is where the angels come and make the announcement of Jesus's birth to the shepherds. And and now we're seeing that Jesus's first miracle was seen by servants people that are serving other people at the party. How is it not impossible, right? It's impossible to not see the heart of God as you're looking at the journey that Jesus Jesus takes, as you're looking at the journey of his life, as you're seeing how God introduced him to the world and brought him in and his lowly start, It's impossible not to see the heart of God and how much he loves us. What's important to him and how he chooses to reveal himself to the world. It has purpose. It has meaning. It has depth. That he's all about redeeming things, not adding things to us but restoring us to our original design. This is why Jesus came, to show us the heart of his father through him. I just want us to take a minute and and look at our lives. And, And if we could see the comparison to how we are living today, right? And how we were designed to live. And the struggle, right, between just the, the intricacies and all the challenges and all the to-dos and everything we need to add to ourselves to live in this world, to be accepted by this world, and how God truly designed us. And the simplicity of that, that, that contrast alone has to make us question Right. Well, why in living in this world do I have to have all these things? Why do I have to be this? Why do I have to have this? Why do I have to do it this way to be accepted in this world? And yet here, Jesus accepts me just the way that I am and wants me to live in the fullness of him, not adding anything from this world, but but living out the way that Jesus designed and that he wants to transform me into this new creation. Not by adding, by allowing Jesus to transform me. That is a beautiful image of the love of God. That's the difference between living in this world and living for Jesus. And our whole goal of this series is to understand the heart of God and why he would send his son to a cross to die, to take our place. A lot of people have a hard time understanding that because they don't understand the heart of God. They're not seeing the big picture and and they haven't fully dove into God's word to understand all the pieces. God loves us. His heart has always been to be in community and relationship with us. But when sin entered the world and the devil came and, and took our, our authority and our dominion that was given to us in this world and took that away, we have been operating day in and day out just like blowing with the storm, the waves of the storm, taking everything that the devil wants to give us believing all of his lies and not operating in the fullness of the relationship that God wants to have with us. This is a time for us to wake up, remember who we are, sons and daughters of the Most High King. Remember what God did to send Jesus into this world so that we could be fully restored to him. And to finally, once and for all, stop believing the lies from the enemy and live as we were created. Not adding things, not accepting things that the devil wants to give us, not what the world wants to give us and add to us, but walking it out every day, being restored by Jesus. That's what this is all about. That's what it's like to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to receive the love of the Father, to receive Jesus as your Savior, to walk that out every single day until Jesus returns, understanding who we are, children of the Most High King. This first miracle, this first sign is a way for us to understand Jesus' journey and the heart of the Father so that we could have new wine in our lives, new wine to live out each day until Jesus comes again. This is why Jesus came, to show us the heart of his Father. And I know as we continue over the next couple of weeks to um, read these stories, unpack them, understand them, that we will have a fuller understanding of the journey as we make our way to the cross. Let's pray. Father God, it's so easy to see your heart when we read your word. It's so easy to see how you want us to live this new life with Jesus, when we can unpack your scripture, when we can see the journey that the Jesus has taken for all of us, Lord. And so I just pray during this season of Lent, during this season when we take this walk to the cross, that you will open up our hearts and our ears, that you will refresh our spirits, that you will revive us and restore us back to you, that you will take off the blinders off of our eyes and open up our ears to the fullest so that we can see the difference between the world and your word. We can see the battle that we are facing with the enemy and how we are victorious in Jesus Christ. When we can see, Lord, who we truly are designed to be, children of the Most High King. Let these words and this story today be a reminder of the new life that you want to do in each one of us. Thank you for its words, for its truth. Thank you for what you did in us today. We love you and praise you and thank you. And ask all of these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us today and for joining us. And until next time, until we can be together again, be blessed. Thanks so much for joining me today. Stay tuned for more Tuesday teachings, Sunday sermons, and encouraging messages along the way. And until next time, be blessed.